0: Annihilation. 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 One minute at a time. <laughs> this is the Black Sea brute pulling through wave rack. Ancient as ocean-shifting hills, who in sea toils traveling, who furrowing the salt acres heavily, his wake hoary behind him. Shoulders spouting, the fist of his forehead over wastes gray-green crashing. Among horses unbroken, from bellowing fields, past bone wreck of vessels, tide ruin, wash of lost bodies bobbing, no longer sought for, and islands of ice gleaming, who ravening the rank flood wave marshalling, overmastering the dark sea marches, finds home and harvest. Frightening to foolhardiest mariners, his sighs were difficult to describe. The hulk of him is like hills heaving, dark, yet as crags of drift-ice crowns cracking in thunder, like lands self by night black-looming, surf churning and trailing along his shores rushing, shoal-water boating, about the dark of his jaws, and who should moor at his edge, and fair on afoot would find gates of no gardens, but the hill of dark, underfoot-diving, Closing overhead the cold deep and drowning, he is called Leviathan, and named for rolling. First created he was of all creatures. He has held Jonah three days and nights. He is that curling serpent that in ocean is. Sea fright he is, and the shadow under the earth. Days there are, nonetheless, when he lies like an angel, although a lost angel, on the wastes unease, no eye of man moving. Bird hovering, fish flashing, creature whatever, Who after him came to herit earth's emptiness. Froth at flanks seething soothes to stillness, waits. With one eye he watches, dark of night sinking last, With one eye day rise, as at first over foaming pastures. He makes no cry, though that light is a breath. The sea-curling star-climbed, wind-combed, cumbered with itself still, as at first it was, is the hand not yet contented of the creator, and he waits for the world to begin. W.S. Merwin, Leviathan. Alexander Kleeman describes in the New York Times, 12 December 2019, an incident that inspired Jeff Vandermeer's inclusion of a boar attack in the novel Annihilation. Quote, Jeff Vandermeer was hiking the grassy, swamp-lined pathways of a wildlife refuge outside Tallahassee, Florida, a few years ago when he and a friend found themselves in the path of a charging wild boar. The area is a sea-level palimpsest of wetland and plains, all damp grass and grassy water. Much of it as flat as the Serengeti, which made it possible for them to see the animal coming from across a vast but still alarming distance. As the boar barreled toward them, growing slowly but irreversibly larger, Vandermeer felt his fight-or-flight reflexes stir, yet he and his companions still had plenty of time to discuss. Should they run counting on the boar to wear itself out and lose speed over time. Would it be better to dive off the path and into the abutting reeds? Or would they be pursued, forced to defend themselves against a full-grown razor-toothed hog? Over a half million feral pigs populate the backwoods of Florida, many the mottled brown descendants of those brought to North America in 1539 by conquistadors. And though it wasn't unusual to see them out scavenging peacefully during the day, articles about trappers whose legs had been sliced open by their sharp, curved tusks regularly surfaced in the local news. Eventually, Vandermeer and his friend decided to stand to their ground, hoisting their packs like weapons. But then, the boar veered unexpectedly off the path, crashing through the thick stand of reeds and grasses and vanishing into the marsh. End quote. The scene that incident inspired... In the novel *Annihilation*, Quote, the day before we arrived at the camp, this mood was briefly shattered by the appearance of an enormous wild boar some distance ahead of us on the trail. It was so far from us that even with our binoculars we could barely identify it at first. But despite poor eyesight, wild pigs have prodigious powers of smell, and it began charging us from 100 yards away, thundering down the trail toward us. Yet we still had time to think about what we might do. Had drawn our long knives, and in the surveyor's case, her assault rifle bullets would probably stop a 700-pound pig, or perhaps not. We did not feel confident taking our attention from the boar to untie the container of handguns from our gear and open its triple locks. There was no time for the psychologist to prepare any hypnotic suggestion designed to keep us focused and in control. In fact, all she could offer was, don't get close to it, don't let it touch you, while the boar continued to charge. The anthropologist was giggling a bit out of nervousness, and the absurdity of experiencing an emergency situation that was taking so long to develop. Only the surveyor had taken direct action. She had dropped to one knee to get a better shot. Our orders included the helpful directive to kill only if you were under threat of being killed. I was continuing to watch through the binoculars, and as the boar came closer, its face became stranger and stranger. Its features were somehow contorted as if the beast was dealing with an extreme of inner torment. Nothing about its muzzle or broad, long face looked at all extraordinary, and yet I had the startling impression of some presence in the way its gaze seemed turned inward, and its head willfully pulled to the left, as if there were an invisible bridle. A kind of electricity sparked in its eyes that I could not credit as real. I thought instead it must be a byproduct of my now slightly shaky hand on the binoculars. Whatever was consuming the boar also soon consumed its desire to charge. It veered abruptly leftward with what I can only describe as a great cry of anguish, Into the underbrush. By the time we reached that spot, the boar was gone, leaving behind a thoroughly thrashed trail. For several hours, my thoughts turned inward toward explanations for what I had seen parasites and other hitchhikers of a neurological nature. I was searching for entirely rational biological theories. Then, after a time, the boar faded into the backdrop like all else that we had passed on our way from the border, and I was staring into the future again. End quote. In the film, it is a gator attack, a pale gator altered by the shimmer. Minute 37 begins with the gator having just erupted from the water to charge the women, camera angled from behind and following the gator, from the script. As the water erupts behind them, as the gator appears and lunges again, Lena shoves Radek hard to the side and pulls her rifle to her shoulder. In the film, while the gator's initial attack was on Radek, this shore attack is directed initially toward Shepard, Thornton, Though I'm not sure her mouth is moving. Shepherd, Shepherd, watch out! Shepherd moves stage left, and the gator turns to follow. But I am amused in pausing the action to notice that Ventress has completely turned away and is fleeing in this shot. Every Ventress for herself. Cut to angle from inside boat shed. Raddick on one of the upturned boats, thorns in between her and the gator. Smash cut back to Shepherd firing her rifle toward camera. Behind her, Ventress is no longer fleeing, and I am a little disappointed in our selfish team leader. Our POV swings right as Shepard moves left behind a tree. And then, rather abruptly, our wild POV is not the gator's, as the gator comes into frame on the right and heading now toward Thornton. It takes a couple steps forward. Thornton fires her rifle. Honestly, she is shooting so high she is at best hitting its tail. Which is strange, because there should have been a full size silicon buck coming at the actress. The gator growls. Two bursts of fire, then second five, we get another odd cut, different by just a few degrees more from above the gator than next to thorinson's aim is just left of camera now her gun jams and we are back to the previous angle after less than a second thorinson lowers her rifle to fix it thorinson the gator growls again and thorinson gives up on unjamming her weapon takes a step back and falls onto the same overturned boat Raddock has taken refuge on second eight smash cut to lena rifle up and she opens fire a single shot first Smash cut, reverse, Lena at left of frame, gator's head at right as it turns its attention toward her. Shepard stands past the gator, rifle up, but not firing. Lena takes a step forward into a crouching position as the gator swings her way. She fires a burst that, like says before, really should not hit the gator at all. But back to the script, as we get a distant reverse shot that conspicuously has no Shepard by that tree at the right edge, but does still have that white circle that distracted me last minute up in the trees beyond Lena. The gator raises its head and charges Lena. The script says she empties an entire clip into the gator. Rounds slam into torso, punching through the reptile armor. But incredibly, the creature isn't killed. It simply redirects its attention from Radic to Lena. Lena desperately tries to jam in a new clip as the gator propels itself in her direction. Just as the creature is about to reach her, the clip is driven home and Lena cocks her gun and opens fire again, emptying this magazine at point-blank rage directly down the gator's throat. The muzzle flash illuminates the interior bullets slam into the flesh. This time, Lena is joined by Shepard, Thornton, and Dr. Ventress. In five seconds, four women empty four magazines, riddling the creature's head and torso. After the last shot is fired, the alligator remains supported on its legs, jaws open, frozen for a moment, half out of the water. Then the legs buckle, and the jaws shut. It's dead. Cut to black. In the film, of course, we do not get this moment of joint action among the women. Instead, second 13, reverse on gator approaching, bullet strike the inside of its open mouth, blood spurts, and Shepard should be in the background of this angle, but she is not. The gator loses its footing and stumbles and we angle, second 14, on Lena. Center of frame, firing pretty much directly at camera. Second 16, close on gator. More bullet hits, more blood. It growls and comes toward camera, and despite the rush of action, we should notice the inside of its mouth is not normal. There are teeth circling the back of its now bloody throat. This strange throat widens as the gator's open mouth takes up most of the screen. Then second seventeen, reverse. Lena's still firing. Camera dollies toward Lena as she stops firing. Second twenty-two, cut to Shepard and Ventress. Shepard moves forward a few steps. Second twenty-four, Lena. She rises up to standing, rifle still ready. Camera dollies back as she lowers her weapon. Second thirty-two, angle on gator from left. The gator looms large. Halls of other places form the impatience of the few. In a black midnight those fruits shall reveal the revelation of the earth, the shadows of the monstrous flower that shall expand the mind beyond bare. But whether it decays, all shall revel in the knowledge of the shadow or in light, that there shall be implanting in, in the shadows a grace, bloom dark flowers, and sustain and herald the passing, shall still know life, in forgotten and reanimated bliss of not knowing, that came from the hand forth the seeds of the dead, to surround the world while from the dim-lit mercy that shall devour that which decays shall never writhe who have never seen or water with the sun shining yet ripe and the golden shall split open on green fields Are out to come to revelation into the strangling fruit and rejoice for there is no in seeds of the dead cannot forgive Feel softness in the abyss are like the petals of the blossom within the skull when any man can under the earth or above where lies the strangling fruit of the sinner I shall share with the worms that gather in the darkness with the power of their lives the gator looms large across the bottom half of frame dwarfing the fishing hut beyond it to the left. Sunlight Beyond offers a nicely lit shot as the gator still moves, but slowly, it closes its mouth and stops moving, as the camera trucks left to reveal that Shepard, despite just moving closer, is now actually farther back than she was before, and definitely nowhere near Ventress. The music settles, and the script scene heading spoils the next shot which begins in darkness second thirty eight. Interior Gator Day. In the script we hear voices before we see anything. Shepherd off screen. Be careful, there might be a reflex. Thornton, off screen. I think it's reflex days are behind it. Sudden daylight as we see the jaws being prized back open from the POV of the gullet. We are inside the wet cave of the gator's mouth, looking out over a slab of tongue and jagged stalagmite stalactite teeth. In the script, Lena is peering in. Instead, Ventress sits right in front of the open mouth, looking in, rifle in her lap. Lena leans into frame from the right and looks closely at the teeth. A bird calls. Shepard leans in from left. Lena. Whoa. More bird calls. Lena. Continued. It's exactly the same as the flowers. flowers. Now Ventress leans forward, putting weight on one arm. Second 55, reverse. Sort of. The script says we see what Lena sees. Behind the row of teeth, there's a second row, internal, folded backward slightly. And behind the second row, there is third, these almost flat. But this new angle is a little far back, and the mouth too bloody a mess to make out much specific detail. Additionally, Shepard is positioned too far to the right now to have been in the previous shot. Lena, continued. Look, Look at the, at the teeth. teeth. Lena has a small metal probe in her hand. She points at the teeth with it. Motions three lines. Lena, continued. Concentric, Concentric grows. grows. And time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching you. Window and waters at the empty place inside. Annihilation is all we are. Annihilation.